You're listening to the Freewheeling Podcast. I'm Abby Mickey, and I am, as always, joined by Lauren Rowney. Lauren, hello. Good morning, everyone, from sunny Belgium. (laughs) You can only say that like three times a year, so you got to say it while you can. I'm good at (laughs) Amy Jones. Hi. I've brought the Spanish weather with me. You're welcome. Thank you. (laughs) And Gracie Elvin. Hey, I'm coming from rainy Australia, unfortunately. It's been very wet here lately. Lots of Zwift for me. I mean, you can't go wrong with Zwift, even when it is sunny. (laughs) That's true. We got tons of bike racing to talk about. We had quote unquote opening weekend, which obviously it's not really opening weekend for the women because it's not a world tour race, but we can, we can talk about that. Uh, since that news came out the morning of the race or the day before, maybe, and we are looking forward to the first World Tour race of the season, Strada Bianchi, one of one of my personal favorite races on the calendar. I think we should just dive into it. I think we should just dive right in to like probably what's the one of the biggest topics we're going to talk about today, which is that that sprint by Anamik Van Vluten. The 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 whole race. We'll talk about the whole race, but Van Vluten's win was so impressive and i mean i i didn't see it coming at all i was like following's got this like in the two up sprint following's got this and van vluten just smoked her what do you guys think well i felt like an idiot because um hannes is like well obviously he wasn't agreeing with the tactic first because bike racing he's still getting acquainted with it too but anyway um i was like no, 99% of the, the time she's she's going to win against Van Vluten in the sprint, maybe 99.9%. And I made my best friend reference of how potentially she sprints. And um, and then, yeah, she, she let it out and did what she did. So I was wrong. I think Demi's mistake was coming out of Van Vluten's wheel too early. But she didn't. She actually came out at the perfect time. She left it into like 100 metres to go. And I think it was just telling that she wasn't bluffing earlier in the race because she kept making faces at the camera and she wasn't pulling turns, which they they were entitled to ride that tactic, even though I don't think many people liked watching that tactic. But the fact that she was also, you know, pulling faces and looking a bit ragged, just hanging on to Annemiek's wheel, I think like... I don't know, I was like, mm, she's putting on a bit of a show, but, you know, they're entitled to sit on because they have two other good riders in the group behind. But surely she's going to win this sprint and Annemiek will be pissed about it. <laughs> and then, yeah, I, I think Vollering did everything she could to win and she couldn't. And Annemiek is amazing. Her power-to-weight ratio is amazing over most time frames but certainly anything over 30 seconds is impressive and for her to think about how she wanted to sprint she attacked two corners to go which was what just under 400 meters to go which is a long way out but the fact that she used those corners she had a little bit of rest within that 400 meters and used that momentum and then she just had that crazy 20 30 second power in that final finishing straight following stepped out at actually a good time and she just had nothing left because that power had already been high like just following Anamik in the first place so yeah I think the biggest thing to come out of it is like whole crap Anamik's back (laughs) and better than ever maybe (laughs) uh Amy do you mean when she came when she got in front of Anamik before the last two corners because I thought that was where Volering made a mistake because then Van Vluten was able to dive bomb one of the corners going into the finish and get like a little gap that wasn't super significant, but given that Vollering wasn't faking it earlier and was struggling to hold on to Van Vluten's wheel, that like tiny acceleration she had to do to get on Van Vluten's wheel to go into those final two corners before Van Vluten opened up her early sprint. I feel like that little effort was like, maybe not the little bit she needed. I think she she didn't have the form that she had last year when she would have smoked Van Vluten in this. Give, but to be fair, first race of the season for following. And Van Vluten just did Valencia. So she's got a little bit of racing in her body already. I mean, she didn't come out from behind Van Vluten's wheel for 
what, 13K, whatever, 9K. And to get in front of Van Vluten 900 meters before the finish or 1K before the finish, I was like a little confused, especially after Van Vluten had just gotten frustrated with Vollering for not pulling, which, like you said, Gracie, completely, completely okay tactic for Vollering to pull, especially with Kopecky in the group behind, because those they'd been caught by that small group that was chasing that group of six or seven or whatever then Kopecky takes that sprint every day I think she just looked um I mean she was on on the front for like a second following and then when Anamique did like Gracie was saying take those corners I mean following was straight on her wheel so in that moment I was like okay she looks good she's you know tapping um, she's just going to come out and sprint, like Gracie said, at the perfect moment. But, um, I mean, also, I don't know what the wind direction was on that day and if Vollering was really gassed, if she was copying it a little bit from the side. And anyone who's tried to ride on Anamique's wheel knows that it's like doing a threshold effort to sit on her wheel. So, um, yeah, I, I agree with Gracie. She came out at the right time but clearly didn't have the legs. And it kind of reminded me of... Last year when Vanderpool um, went to the line with Asgreen and everyone was like, Vanderpool's got this. But he was so gassed that he couldn't sprint anymore. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Odd tactics in – well, not odd tactics, just not nice tactics to watch. It gets frustrating. But I'm happy she won. I was more frustrated with the group behind, honestly. Um, yeah, me too. <laughs> once I kind of decompressed and thought about – the riders that were in that group and why they may not have been working together and why Rusa was on the front pulling for so long. Cause that was super confusing. Once I kind of thought about it, I, I think that I pieced it out now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that Marlon Rusa was pulling that group because Van Vluten is getting time checks. And I saw this on Twitter, so it's not my call, but it did kind of make sense. Van Vluten's getting time checked, so if that group is within whatever, 25 seconds, 30 seconds, Van Vluten's going to keep working, which tires out Van Vluten. Vollering is sitting on, so Russo was doing a little bit of work. At the same time, this is not the Twitter, this is me. This is my, my this is what I think. Kopecky's in that group. Elise Langeborghini and, uh, and uh, Ellen Van Dyke are not pulling because behind them, very close behind them, is the peloton containing Balsamo. So they're not going to pull because if they catch uh, Van Vluten and Vollering, then Kopecky's going to win. So they might as well sit on and hope the peloton catches them in time to chase. Obviously, not enough road for that to happen. So strange tactics, but I think that maybe that was their thought process. And then everyone else was just kind of cagey and, and not really working. Obviously, Rusa and um, Kopecky didn't need to work. They had a teammate who 99% of the time would beat Van Vluten in a sprint, so they didn't have to work. So that takes four riders out of that group from working. And then, you know, as soon as you have that big of a chunk of riders in a small group like that not working, then why why are, like, Kasha and the other riders not in there going to work? They they're then they're going to tire themselves out and they are the ones that don't have teammates. So I think that that's what happened. At this point, how much can you hear in the radio? I mean, because they have live feeds, so they're able to be watching the race while it's happening. They, I feel like the radios are still pretty, depending on how far away the cars are. Because That's what I mean. Yeah, because... maybe the cars, there's not enough space between the Peloton and that group for the cars to be in there. There were only, I mean, on the Bossberg, the Peloton was at the bottom of the climb while that group was in the middle of the climb while Van Vluten and Vollering were at the top of the climb and it wasn't like a long climb. So they're all right there. So maybe because of the distance, they couldn't hear a ton. I think with the gaps though between the two leaders, the chase group and the Peloton, the gaps weren't big enough that you wouldn't hear the radio. I'm pretty sure in my experience with the radios that we have nowadays, it you need to be minutes ahead to not hear your car radio anymore. So I reckon everyone would have had more or less. Minute, yeah. Do you think at this point that, like, if Vollering really was feeling shit, I mean, I know they both speak Dutch, um, Van Vluden and, and Vollering, but at that point, if you really were boxed, you would communicate 
just quickly back to the car. And then Rusa maybe gets the message that, oh, we really need to do close us down because if Anmik starts attacking her, maybe she's not going to be able to to perform. I don't know. Um, yeah. That could help watching answer Rusa, that. Yeah, watching Rusa on the front was like, at first I'm like, oh, she's just... Um, disrupting the pace yeah like she's dictating it and setting a false tempo but then there was a few shots camera shots and I was like she's actually working pretty hard (laughs) they want to bring it back and Vollering's telling them I'm no good you need to bring this back and then they just couldn't ride Vludi back I just didn't understand it I didn't understand why no one else was riding because from yeah, from a viewer point of view, you're like, I'm pretty sure the bunch is not gonna catch back. <laughs> so they, they need to figure out who's gonna win from this group. Um, but yeah, with having Kapeki there, it did seem to really neutralize everybody else. So it was a bizarre last 20k to watch, but I think Abby actually explained it quite well. So I think you'll never know the full story. And also at the end of a race like that. Uh, everyone was like no matter where you were in that group or the peloton you're pretty gassed because that final is quite difficult with the the Mer and the Bosberg so everyone's just recalibrating between those two climbs and then recalibrating again as soon as you've gotten over the Bosberg it's actually quite hard to think on your feet by that point after a difficult race and one of the things about Het Newsblad is it's arguably one of the more difficult one-day races of the season because of so many back-to-back sectors in that last half of the race. So sometimes your clarity of thought does get chucked out the window a little bit. So, uh, yeah, just from when I was watching it, I was just thinking maybe people just aren't making good decisions and they they just have so much doubt and they don't know what's really going on that it just made for a, a really weird tactical situation in that chase group. The The route changed quite a bit from the last two years. The break in between the climb before those final two climbs I mean there was like over 10k in between the third to last climb and those two climbs and it's definitely more in the favor of a rider like Kapeki but those two climbs it depends how they're raced and how much they break up the peloton and how close the peloton can get to whoever goes off the front in between the Kapelmur and, and the Bosberg. But I think, yeah, those two climbs are just, oh, I've raced up that Kapelmur climb one time and there was one time too many in my life. What I found interesting, I'd love to see the Strava segments because I think Anamik went up the Kapelmur very quickly and up the Bosberg very quickly because between those two climbs, um, Kapeki was trying to get back onto that group and she just made it right before the Bosberg started. But they kind of sat back just a touch and the, the road does drag uphill for maybe 500 metres or so before the cobbles start. And I was expecting Anna Meek and maybe a couple of other riders, maybe Rosa in that, or not Rosa, but a couple of riders in that group, especially Anna Meek, to make that uh concrete section a little bit harder as well so then she could capitalize on that in the cobbles because the Bosberg is super difficult but it's still relatively short and if you've given people a rest someone like Ellen she can just get over that short steep climb of the Bosberg with Anamik but they they did kind of sit up a little bit before the cobbles started Kopeki got back on and Anamik still gapped them just on the cobble sections and that tells us how good Anamik is going because no one else was able to go with her except for Demi. And then she time trialed away. Yeah. So overall, super impressive route. We knew she was riding well after Valencia, but that was like her, her whole thing, a climb, a climb that ended a race, a long climb. Like that's her. That's a dip. Yeah. Exactly. So for her to have already this season, we've had, she's had five race days and she's won two of them. One of them is a mountaintop and one of them was a sprint against one of the better sprinters in the Peloton, albeit maybe not on that day, obviously, but still that's, that's a wild Super start impressive. to the season. <laughs> 
The thing I love about the classics, though, is that they're so difficult that it's never a proper sprint at the end if there's a lot of cobble sections. Just limbs and going everywhere. It's, <laughs> less, it's less predictable because everyone's a bit fucked. So <laughs> you can't you can't just be a good sprinter in these races. So I think we might see a few more interesting finishes in the next couple of months. Do we think that may be part of why these tactics are looking a bit skew and maybe like, confusing is that teams just are still getting used to one another so you know like organizing a chase or like bringing to bring back like Anamikan or somebody who's off the front is might be something we see more of later on when people can yeah sort their lives out and chase properly I mean, there was quite a bit of movement within the teams after last year, actually. If you look at the riders that were in the front of this race, I mean, Kopecky and Marusa obviously knew to SD Works. There's a, a lot of new faces in Bike Exchange who had a really good rider. DSM has mostly the same team, but have also added some new riders. So I think you're right in that there was enough movement that they have to kind of re-figure out how to do it. I wonder what Vandebregen not being in the Peloton does as well. She was DS today, right? She was. Day, two she, days ago. She opted not to drive, which I thought was smart for like your first <laughs> race directing, have the second director drive, because uh, they have to have the two of them, right? And yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah she she said that it was a completely different kind of pressure because she you have to think for 15 people instead of just, you know, yourself and also cognizant of your teammates and everything. And, uh, but I think pretty, it, it's a bummer she didn't get to win her first race as director with Vollering because that would have been pretty cool. But also I like that she didn't because <laughs> she's got to like find her feet as a director too. But really cool that she's in the car. I do miss her on the roads and like worth pointing out that the Peloton did catch that chase group and, uh, and Webus was third. So, um, a good race for Webus that she, you know, won out of that sprint. Uh, but also, I mean, they just sat up that group. So that was a normal weird race oh do you reckon there was more crashes than there has been normally too i've i noticed there was a few crashes there in that second half of the race there were quite a few crashes i i wonder how many crashes we missed because we we only did get to see like the final 30 40k um and usually like first classic of the season first time that all of the well second time all the big teams are together but stage races are so different in the speed of the peloton um that i bet that the first couple hours of the race were pretty hectic and crashy did we have any breakout rides of the day from unexpected riders or newer riders the only thing i could like think about was was Van Vluten in that sprint really um after the race was over the fact that I love that Rusa and uh Van Dyke were in a breakaway together yeah like the two best time trialists in the peloton in a breakaway together I just found that like super fascinating and uh and that Anna Henderson was able to jump up there I was a little bit confused about that because I thought that that break went a little bit too early to have any chance of making it to the finish and thus like, wouldn't Anna Henderson have probably been one of the top riders for Yumbo Visma on the day and wanted to save her energy and not be in that group? So I was a little confused about that. But yeah, it was um, it was interesting to see those two, those two up the road. I would like to give a little shout out to Grace Brown because she was the only one that did anything out of that chase group once things were getting to the down to the wire I think she made an attack coming into 4k to go I think she was trying to stir the pot a bit and I don't know change the scenario but I think it was a little bit too late then but I don't think there was many opportunities before that unless anybody else wanted to work as well so yeah I'm sure she's a bit frustrated with the outcome of the day but um, certainly a good showing for her because these are her races so I think she'll have a bit of uh, motivation to rectify a few things for the next bigger ones coming up. 
I felt bad for Grace and for Kasha because Kasha also, she said on her Instagram after the race that she was, she raced negatively, which is not something we ever really see from Kasha. Um, but, but those two were two in that break, in that group behind that would have been for the most part, pretty powerless to make any difference in the race. Cause either of them attack that group immediately. Someone is jumping on there that they don't want. And, uh, and what are the two of them going to do? Like the two of them can't pull it back. They're just pulling Capecchi to the line. So I felt really bad for, for both of them in that group. Cause it, I mean, they both rode well to be there, but it just, yeah, not, didn't have the legs to hold on to Van Vluten on the Bosberg, which made all the difference. It's interesting that this race is such an important race on the women's calendar and not world tour. I mean, it's probably the only non world tour race that I write a preview for all season because it's the first cobbled classic of the year. And it's the first race that's got like incredible coverage and many, many eyeballs on it before the world tour starts. So it's kind of a good way to tell how people are going before Strata, but they did apply for world tour status in 2022 and the UCI denied them. They said they're going to apply again in 2023 and also apply for, uh, dwarves, but the, yeah, I thought that that was really interesting that they, that they did apply. Interesting because it goes back to what we were saying a few weeks ago about how not every race can be world tour, not every team can be world tour. Like there have, there does have to be, like lower level races for the development purposes but then again this is a race that's like it's basically world tour anyway because everybody shows up so on in this case like maybe that doesn't really apply but yeah i would definitely put this race above a few others that are world tour races (laughs) yeah yeah there's there's an amount of prestige around winning this race i mean yeah, like Gracie said, over a few of the other World Tour races. Like, if you win this race, it's a pretty big deal. Mm-hmm. And Van Vluten's won it twice now. Mm. Um, I think she's one of the only ones who's won it twice. I think the only other person who's won it twice is um, Van de Bregen. The next day, Amelie Van Het Hageland, we saw a lot of the same faces uh, in the front of the race. Notably, Marlon Rusa in the break again. <laughs> I hope that she's not just, like, relegated to early break duty. Because <laughs> uh, I think she's quite an exciting bike racer. But, yeah, she was up there. Um, the race was chaotic. I don't... <laughs> did anybody watch it, like, from 60K to go like I did? Because it was... There was, like, points where I was just, like, I don't understand what anyone is doing in this bicycle race right now. You're going to have to fill us in. I, I admit I only watched with 25K to go. I don't it was know if really I can. it was it was sunny in Belgium. So we we went for a You a went little, outside? Yeah. Yes, I went As outside. You <laughs> As you should. No, there was there was just um there was one point, okay, the the part of the race that really confused me. Well, there was maybe two before the 20K to go mark was Emma Norsgaard was super aggressive like she was attacking and off the front and at one point she was in a group with like marlon rusa and a couple other riders strong riders georgie pfeiffer was in there and and they weren't they weren't working like at all except for rusa and emma they were like the only two on the front taking pulls everyone else was kind of sitting behind them and then van dyke bridged across to that breakaway with Kapeki and Weebus on her wheel. There was no other Trek Safeno riders in that group. She had like Chloe Hosking in the group behind, and who's like a great sprinter, obviously, and was looked pretty good on the day. I'm pretty sure Balsamo was in there too. And I was just like so confused why Ellen Van Dyke would bridge from the Peloton to this breakaway with with two of the strongest sprinters in the peloton on her wheel. And then the the three, the combination of Norsgaard, Weebus, and Kopecky in a breakaway was, was interesting to me. But that moment was really weird. And it did, the, they like really weren't working together. People kept kind of like taking soft flyers off the front of that breakaway. And so it eventually came back together um, and then split again. But it was, 
it was such a chaotic race and it was weird because it was a lot of top riders in the peloton or like a lot of top riders from the peloton in the breakaways which we don't usually see with like 60 kilometers to go in a bike race well also like am i losing it or have i just been watching too many men's races lately a sentence i never thought i'd say or why as a sprinter like why would sprinters all want to be in the break like that like that's not normal is it like in a race where i don't know it wasn't super selective race was it like i feel like it's i agree like I'm, i was watching it and i was like have, have i watched too many men's races and i don't understand women's racing anymore because because maybe a couple years ago like yeah it, that would have been a selection it wouldn't have been a break it just would have been the peloton splitting and the top riders in the peloton riding away but we don't that's not really women's racing anymore it like the field is getting way deeper and so riders like that don't have to be up there that early if it had happened with like 30k to go it's like oh yeah that's a little bit different because that's not a break that's just a split but it was it was clearly a breakaway and it was like still pretty far to go so it was very confusing it was a very confusing race to watch from that perspective Mm -hmm. once it kind of got down closer to the finish it was I was really impressed with uh, with Bassianelli, her third win of the year. And she was in that group with no teammates, and she was doing a good portion of the work. I mean, a lot of riders weren't riding in that group. Um, a lot of sprinters weren't riding in that group. And, like, Emma Norsgaard had already done a ton of work early in the race, which I think really uh, was a bad call for her. Was Garishi in the race? I don't know, but... Uh, Emma Norsgaard had Ode Bianique in that final group with her. So she did have a teammate in the in the final selection that was able to do the work instead of her. But the work that she'd already done, like 60K to go, I mean, would have knocked a couple watts off of her sprint in the end. And and SD Works had two riders in that group, the final group with Chantal Vandenbroek-Black and Elena Cicchini. And, like, the two of them sprinting against Bastianelli and Norsgaard obviously didn't, like, that's, yeah, neither of them can out-sprint those two really on a normal day. So, Cicchini made an attack in the end that um, Clara Capone brought back from FDJ, and then Bastianelli just sprinted, sprinted to win. But it was... Like at one point, Bastianelli was getting super frustrated because there were so many people sitting on that group. So she was doing a lot of work and it was a really impressive win from her um, with Norsgaard taking second and Flirty Mackay third. Yeah, she was very aggressive. Flirty Mackay and uh, Georgie Pfeiffer were the two DSM riders in that group. Interesting, like weird, well, not weird, maybe like just laid out situation from Chantal for Elena Cicchini as well. She, it looked like Chantal had a, a bit of a crack and then. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like it looked like she attacked, but then I was like, oh no, was she trying to lead her out? Like what happened? Cause she like. No, I think she, she was having a last dig before the finish. And then it was kind of like Cicchini was going to be the rider of the two of them that had a crack at the sprint if it came down to that situation. But um didn't didn't have the the legs compared to her competitors but i mean this this race is what a one point is it a 1.1 it's a step below on loop at newsblood i'm pretty sure a step below i mean you have a lot of riders lining up that just raced the day before and i think um going back to your comment amy about is it weird that sprinters um, we're all in the front group together. Well, I, I see Weebers as a rider who's also developing as well. And just based on some of the things she did last year, she doesn't want to be pigeonholed as the sprinter who just sits in and sprints at the finish. I think we don't have that many sprinters like that anymore in the women's peloton. They seem to be a lot more diverse and willing to, to have a go. Even a rider like Chloe Hosking is happy to put her hand up and have a go in in a harder race situation because this can translate to more important races in the future. You don't really learn much or get much value out of just sitting in and sprinting all the time for a race that is perhaps a lower level race. So it's, it's a good opportunity to test the legs um, with, I mean, one, fatiguing them from a hard race the day before, 
and two, just to try new things and see what you can do. So at least that's my perspective. Um, I don't know if Gracie, what do you think? Yeah, you pretty, I was pretty much going to say the same thing, Lauren, like, from my experience, I pretty much always did this race and I always hated it because it's always the day after Het Newsblad and you get so nervous for Het Newsblad, like it's a hard race, but you also spend a lot of energy with your nerves. So the next day you just can't, you just really don't want to do a 1.2 level race and it's a bit of a boring course. Often it's quite hard to get a breakaway. It's it's open to crosswinds, but the crosswinds never seem to come or be in the right direction. So it's always like a frustrating race. So I, I agree with Lauren, like probably a good portion of the peloton had raced the day before. There was some fr- fresher riders in there that wanted to mix it up and get their nerves out of the way. And then you've got a handful of riders that are in good form that may or may not have raced the day before, but they just want to try a few different things because it's less pressure and they're just trying to try stuff. And I think that's the perfect way to to try stuff out because you actually don't get that many opportunities that are not World Tour races. As we were saying earlier, there's probably too many World Tour races and there's therefore too much pressure and Riders don't get that opportunity to to try different stuff, especially if you're a sprinter. So, and how often do we get to watch non World Tour races too? It's not often that we get to watch. Yeah. Like this may happen quite often, but we just don't get to see it. Yeah, and you got to watch a huge chunk of it. Yeah, almost half the race. I mean, it was still really exciting, regardless of how chaotic and confused it was. Confusing it was. It was still super exciting to watch. Because it was just constantly changing. There were riders from the Cole Wahoo that were like really throwing their hat in the ring, which was awesome. Like when that break, when when one of the breaks was up the road, one of the the Cole Wahoo girls was trying to bridge. More packings. Yeah. So there was, it was still a really, really exciting race. And I think we just don't get to see racing like this very often because it's not, we don't have coverage of it. And it's also a bit of a shots fired from Bastianelli too. I think we might see a comeback from her 2018 form. Yeah. yeah. She was a weapon. <laughs> I always feel quite conflicted about Bastianelli because obviously she's she's a really good rider. She's really exciting. She's a mom, which is just awesome. Um, but but she does have that doping uh, positive from 20, 2008, I believe it was, or two. 2008 because it was the olympics year i tell you what i was excited to watch these races because i'm a fan but i was also using it as a bit of homework because i've got a lot of commentary coming up and my god there's so many pink jerseys i cannot tell people apart it's so bad that's why gracie has now invested in a pair of glasses (laughs) the races uae and canyon sram those two are like you you just cannot tell the difference between the two of them because they're both so light in color and they have like light colored helmets at least sd works i think sd works wins in the in the beachy fade competition because they have the purple helmets so that helps so you can really tell them apart but yeah uae and canyon sram i was like i like (laughs) if it's like a long shot I don't know. I don't know who they are. Or if it's their backs, I can't tell. You're just going to have to rely on, um, you know, when you know, like, the the body shape and the style of a rider, you yeah. have to go back to that. I know. I still know so many riders from the peloton, but there's a lot of younger riders now that are getting really good and exciting, but I don't know their body shape and their riding style as much, so I'm having to do a bit more homework at the moment. But I hope that some of the women's teams don't bring in those mesh number pockets like the men's have because that will just make it completely they impossible. They have. Moby style. Are using them, I think. Oh, if you are, yeah, actually. you're right. Uh, like, you can't, if you don't, if, I, I need to see the numbers sometimes. Like, come on, throw me a boat. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think people realize that when you're doing commentary, it's not like you have a secret second com in your ear telling you, like, what numbers they are and, like, the time gaps and stuff. You're literally just watching the race and commentating on what you see. There's no behind the scenes fanciness. No, <laughs> I don't know how you do it without swearing. Otherwise, I think I'd end up swearing. <laughs> Maybe that's just me. Well, when you and me, Amy, commentate on a race, I think we should do it. Just like we should do, like the rogue commentary feed, and it's just you and I. Yeah, there's like, like isn't there like drunk histories? Something. You should do drunk commentary and yeah. just go 
Go ham on it. Bring yeah. um, old love, not Amy. What's your um, Debbie? alter ego? Debbie. <laughs> oh, my mum. <laughs> Come on, Debbie. Oh, alter ego. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Chuck me some Prosecco. <laughs> a bit Christmassy, maybe. In two and a half months, Amy, you can come up to Andorra and we can watch two and a half, maybe three months. Give give me like two weeks post-birth. You can come up to <laughs> Andorra and we can crack open a bottle of Prosecco and watch. Uh, it'll be like Burgos, I think, at that point, maybe. Yeah. And we just fucking go home and just talk shit. <laughs> yeah, we can do what uh, Lucas did this week or this weekend for Amelie Van Het Hageland. There was no English oh, commentary. Yeah, so Lucas mm-hmm. did just like a um, one of the rooms or whatever on Twitter and, and did his own commentary, which I thought was super nice because obviously there's a lot of english-speaking fans that watch the race and and couldn't uh didn't know what jose was saying because they don't speak dutch so I, I thought it was great i thought it was really awesome so we can do that we could start a a twitter stream and just i'm i'm here for that yeah, I, I reckon we do it uh so other than that um teams are still finding their feet and there's way too much pink in the peloton are there any other major takeaways from these two races before we get into strata and Van Vluten is very good. I'm really impressed with, uh, we, we, you briefly mentioned it before, but I'm in general just really impressed with the Cold Wahoo. I think they've, like, for their level, I, I mean, they've always been like that, but I just thought they, like, they've come into the season, they've got quite a few new riders, and straight away they start, they've, they've got some pretty good results, or, like, decent rides from some of their riders, and who are all, like, pretty young too. Oh, shout out um, to Lizzie Holden. She was right up there. I saw on the results. Oh my god, I was standing on there, and I like she went past me, and I was like, "Oh, that was Liz!" And like, as soon as I realized it was her, like, it was too late to be like, "Go, Liz!" And I was like, I felt terrible. I felt terrible. And I was cheering like all in sundry, and then like my actual friend goes past, and I was like, "Oh." <laughs> How was it yeah. on the ground, Amy? What was the vibes? The vibes. The vibes were. Were <laughs> they were vibing yeah no yeah well to be honest i played like taxi for a lot of the day um for uh for sam but um when we actually did get to watch the race um we rocked up to the town who's the name of which i've now forgotten got a rice cake or two went up the mur, stood there, and I was like, this is sickening. I'm so glad I don't have to race anymore and do these kinds of things. Um, but it was good. It was There was quite a few, there was quite a decent crowd as well, actually, which, I mean, I shouldn't have to say that like that, but, like, yeah, I was impressed. And uh, it was Carnival as well in Belgium. Oh, yeah, there was a it? whole, oh, is that what it was? Yes. Oh, my God, Carnival. I was like, is this always here? Because there was, like, a whole, like, fun fair going on. And yeah. I was like, what is going on is this because of the race like what why is there like yeah it's a thing shit. you can google it after freewheeling carnival may i live in spain there's a festival every other day like uh it, it's like well actually it's still on until march 2nd i think so wherever you are um there are okay, I'm going to town, little fun fair i'm gonna ride the teacups Whatever. Before before we get to Strada, because that's the World Tour race coming up, the first World Tour race of the year coming up, there is Lussemann in the middle of the week, which is another race kind of like Omloop Van Het Hageland, where a lot of the good, a lot of the top riders who focus on the Cobble Classics go to this, but it's also got like a healthy smattering of smaller teams that are trying to cut their teeth against those top riders. And usually it has it has pretty good live coverage. It's on GCN Plus, actually. One last year, one last year by Lada Kopecky. This was like her first, her first win of the year last year with Emma Norsgaard second. One of the many second places for Emma Norsgaard before she was able to take her first win at, um, I think it was Elsa Jacobs, where she won for the first time. But she was, yeah, this was like the early season races where we really saw saw Kopecky and Norsgaard take leaps and bounds up. Um, in terms of skill for the start list. Ooh, Megan Jastrav is racing. I love her. She's great. She's, mm. she's a young, young kid just first getting into the world tour peloton. And it's, um, it's also Maud Oldman's first race with Canyon. Oh, cool. The Academy winner. Yeah. If anyone missed that, um, 
that that piece that Amy did on Maud, it is on the website. She's lovely. But yeah, last minute, another good race. Another like, you know, little little hilly classic with some cobbles and stuff and um and has has the live coverage so you can watch it. And and then Strada Bianchi is coming up, which is an awesome race. I never got to race it, but it, like an awesome race to watch. You two, you two raced it. It's been a long time since I did it. I think Gracie's probably done it a few more, a few more times. Like you, Abby, I love to watch this race, um, but it, it's a special kind of race. Yeah, I've done it maybe three or four times, and every time you just, it's a bit like Flanders. You just get goosebumps because it's special, and I don't know. It's it's quite technical. Like the gravel's not super technical but just the whole race the race as a whole piecing all of those things together to make it to the end in one piece and without uh, mechanicals and not missing the splits and then it just gets harder and harder like the last 20k is so hard Uh, and then the final into the Siena is absolutely amazing like it's even better in real life than it looks on tv and it looks pretty cool on tv um but yeah, it's a, such a hard finish. So whoever wins it is a really deserving winner. Not to say that other races are not like that, but man, like winning that is really tough. Epic. It's just this wall, wall of people. And that it is so steep. I think there's a picture of me. And for some, when I'm absolutely buckled and I'm climbing, I'm right like over the top of the handlebars, almost kissing the the front wheel. Um but, yeah, like Gracie was saying, it's a race kind of like Flanders where you, Lady Luck has to be on your side um, because if you do puncture at the wrong moment in that race, it's incredibly hard to come back, particularly once the gas is on. I don't think one of those sectors is raced easily. Yeah, and we actually get to see, like, a ton of notable race riders are coming back for this race. We've got Marta Cavalli and Cecilio Trip Ludwig, who didn't race uh, either of the Omloops, and Mariana Voss will be there. So Grace Brown, if she is racing, um, the start list is not published yet, but if she is racing, there will be that those three, three-pronged attack for FDJ possibility, and the race really suits all three of them. So it's kind of, in, it'll be an interesting tactic to see how they race a one day versus a stage race. And, and yeah, Voss is back, which is great because we love Voss. We are big fans. We are big fans of Mariana Voss. And then for Canyon Sram, so they're going to have their, their two new riders, uh, Soraya Paladin and Paulina Rarkis are going to be there for Kasha. So, Cash has always been a fa- like is always a favorite going into this race and has been on the podium so many times has been runner up so many times has never won it, but I think the biggest difference for her is she's she's just always alone I, and like in most races she's just like alone she doesn't really have a ton of teammates that can make it to that pointy end of the race to be of any assistance and sometimes when they can they're just kind of there. And I think is Tiff lining up for this one surely. She's not on the start list yet, but it's obviously, yeah, not, it's not finalized, but I would yeah. imagine that she would be. And I'm really curious to see if she's going to carry that form from last year into this year. I would assume yes. Yeah. Well, the combination of having her as captain and then having two really strong riders, maybe this is just the kind of support that she needs going forwards to, you know, Going further into those races, when you have riders that have one, two, three teammates, it puts you in a very difficult situation. And I mean, I guess that's kind of what happened to her at Umlup, who had Newsblood. Um, was she alone or did she have one other? She was alone, but I think that one of the problems that they had at Omloop is what we talked about last week with FDJ, where they're just, when Tiff isn't there, they have no captain they're all just like young kids out there racing their bikes and kasha as the leader of the team she can't also take on the responsibility of captaining the team so they're they're missing this big thing and within the team that would make all the difference Mm -hmm. so i think that yeah having tiff there would make a huge difference especially with two new riders who are quite good riders but you still need someone to to pilot 
the team from within the team. Any other riders to watch out for? Ashley Moment Passio is making her return to road racing after uh, focusing quite heavily on the virtual world. Um, and it'll be really interesting to see how that racing that she's done over the winter, she's done a lot of the e-racing. And it'll be super interesting to see how that uh, translates into racing on the road. Because she said last week when I talked to her that the it's like cyclocross, like you get a lot of benefit from doing those hard efforts um, over a short period of time. But Strata is obviously longer um, and the efforts are more pieced out. So I'm curious to see how that how that translates. And she she didn't get to race this last year. She crashed the day before and hurt herself um but she is an asset on in in a race like this so yeah worth a mention i don't have a pick i hate picking for this race it's like it's surely it's hard to go past anime (laughs) yeah i know i know and i don't think like uh, lisa longo borghini is quite i think she's at like 90 percent at the moment she's definitely not how we're going to see her when it um, is approaching Flanders and then the Ardennes, et cetera. So, you know, she, she's not a pick for me at this point. Van Dyke is riding very strong. Um, I mean, Chantal did win this race, right? Yeah. So it can That's be won cool. by a rider like that. Um, yeah, Mavi Garcia, she showed good form. Um, Rusa is riding very well as well, obviously. Um Vollering is, is riding strong, but, um, yeah, just didn't have the legs at the end of the race. So there's a lot of riders, I think, that the, the normal the normal people that we sort of look to. But, yeah, I definitely don't have a pick for this one, other than hard to look past Anamique when she decides to just turn the throttle up to, to 10. And if she does that repetitively, like sector after sector after sector and just cracks people gradually um yeah i always just pick kasha i'm like one year i'll get it right (laughs) it's the it's the monkey on her back she loves this race and it's and she's just she's been so close so many times (sighs) yeah i hope you're right (laughs) (laughs) but i mean it's yeah it's impossible to look past van vluten she won it in 2019 and 2020 and she's she's flying so yeah remember in 2019 when she was like she wasn't there it was it was a combination i think of the video uh but like she like there was a group and she was not in it and the time gaps were massive and then all of a sudden she was there and it was so confusing it was like how did you how did you get here? And I think that she was there and then she was not there. She, she was, was gone. Yeah. She went right through that group and it looked like she was just, she got sick of being in the Peloton and was like, screw this. And just like rode away out of here. and just rode straight <laughs> through the breakaway that was up the road and, and won. super confusing. All right. Before we wrap up this episode, just a very quick mention of, uh, Lowe's Adahist who won the esports cycling world championships on saturday it was a pretty exciting race there was a lot of aggression from the the usa team they just kept sending riders off the front like one after another after another um and then i think like the more i'm watching the e-racing the more that the the power-ups seem to uh make sense but it was interesting watching because because the defending champion ashley moon pasio i think she um She's like the face of e-racing and maybe wasted a little bit too much effort in the two ascents of the New York KOM before the final one and then dropped her featherweight power up on the steepest part. But the other two riders who outrode her dropped theirs on the last steep section. So it wasn't as steep as the one before, but they were able to use those power-ups and pass, pass Ashley Moomin Passio. And, um, and yeah, Lois Adhist took the virtual world, world rainbow jersey. She actually put, um, she writes for whatever the hell that RuPaul cleaning team is called nowadays. But um, a while ago, like, she was looking for a team and she put out, like, a 
calls like saying I'm I'm looking for a team and put all her power numbers or like her power to weight uh, stats. And uh, so yeah, I think she deserves a slightly better ride somewhere down the line. I haven't, I, I can't, that's the one thing about virtual racing that I've, it's not clicked for me yet, how to watch the power to weight uh, while they attack and how, I mean, obviously I know what power to weight means and I, and I know what the numbers mean, but it, but that changes so quickly that it's just kind of like, I don't. I think because it's real time, it's really difficult to judge like what's actually going on. If they had like maybe three second or something like, but yeah, because, average. yeah. 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 Something that I learned that's really cool is I was chatting to Kate Bates last week and she was the team DS for Australia for the men and women and she gets to like drive the director car so she kind of gets like a bit of a back-end access to Zwift and gets to see some of the stats and different views and stuff and I just think like that element of the racing is also super cool is like it's not just about the individual riders on their own trainers with their own TV it's like they're actually doing it as a team now and they have a director so like it's actually racing it's really cool and Australia did really well in the men's race. They went one, two in the men's race. Yeah, and they they had three in the top five. So a good friend of mine, Benny Hill, was fourth. So very impressive. Is he related to completely irrelevant? But is he related to Sam Hill, the other guy who was in the Zwift Academy? Yeah, they're brothers. Oh, uh, okay, okay, that makes sense. Well. Lots of exciting racing, and the season has barely begun. So we will be back next week to talk about Strada Bianchi. Thank you so much for listening. And don't forget to catch Lessam In on Wednesday. Bye.